2: In the spring and summer, when I look outside my
0: door and see my flowers blooming and the great vegetables that I'll soon pick from a flourishing garden, I not only see the great beauties and bounties of nature, I also see literacy. As you know, we define literacy very broadly here at Rachel's World, and that I see literacy in everything we do to engage with the world around us, and this includes nature. In 1983, Professor Howard Gardner developed his multiple intelligences theory. At that time, he described seven aspects of human intelligence as being verbal, mathematical, spatial, musical, kinesthetic, interpersonal, and interpersonal. In 1994, he added an eighth intelligence, naturalistic intelligence, or nature smarts. Gardner describes naturalist intelligences as dealing with patterns and making connections to nature. This intelligence shows a strong affinity to natural phenomena and its disciplines that address them like biology, zoology, paleontology, or astronomy. So it's clear that Gardner sees nature as a way we engage with the world around us. So for me, that becomes a literacy too. Learning about and appreciating nature is critical for us, because it's this understanding that is going to allow us to live and grow on this planet for many years to come. But connecting with nature is also important in other ways, because there is a growing body of evidence that identifies a wide range of health, social, and economic benefits that interacting with nature provides. So while me and Gardner and other researchers would define the natural world as having a literacy all its own, it's also very cool to me just to see how many experiences with nature can also engage some of what we might call more traditional literacy. Like when you're planning your garden, why not use plant catalogs and seed packets for a little practice with reading? As you plant those seeds, use the ground to plot out geometric shapes or to apply measurements to work with some math. Maybe even drop a map of your just-planted garden to work with some of those spatial and art literacies. And then in the end, why not cook up a healthy dinner as a family from all you grew in your garden to get a little social and health literacy? So whether it's making connections to nature and studying science or just having fun in the outdoors while connecting to our reading and writing skills, we here at Rachel's World think that using the natural world is
2: one great way to build
0: children's literacy.
2: Have you heard of the book lady? The book lady is actually someone you already know. She's quite a celebrity known the world around. Dolly Parton has dedicated herself to the cause of children's literacy in an unusual way. And of all her many accomplishments, she frequently says that she's most proud when people call her the book lady. Her organization, Imagination Library, has distributed well over 50 million free books to children. David Dotson is president of the Dollywood Foundation that oversees Dolly's Imagination Library. The organization's goal is to foster a love of reading with preschool children and their families by providing them with a specially selected book every month. Dotson talks with Rachel about the history of the library, which is now almost two decades old. Here's Rachel with David Dotson.
0: We're on the phone today with David. Welcome, David.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: David, you are the president of the Dollywood Foundation, and your foundation does some amazing things to promote literacy for kids. So to start out, explain to us a little bit about the work of the Dollywood Foundation, and what do you do to promote literacy?
3: Well, the foundation is Dolly Parton's foundation, uh, something that she created back in the late 80s to to be the, the home, if you will, of her her charitable efforts um there were a few programs there in the beginning that were all always aimed at children because that's her her passion and where she wants to serve but in uh about the 96 97 she launched a program here in our our home county Sevier county tennessee uh they called the imagination library and it was a program designed to inspire a love of reading and a love of books uh, with k- children um, before the age of five. And the model basically was a model of gifting books on a monthly basis, brand new books that were in their um, put in their name on the mailing label, and of course, packaged appropriately so it felt like a gift. and to do this every month from uh, basically the time the child was born in the county until their fifth birthday. Um, at that point, in the early 2000s, uh, we decided that maybe some other communities might be interested in this you was it was going extremely well here children were you know really and families were enjoying the books and I we can go back over history but essentially since that time in two thousand and one to today the program grew from gifting a book a month to two thousand children to today we do that to almost one point two million children
0: David that is Absolutely amazing. And I couldn't be more of an advocate for programs like this because one of the things that I truly believe as a literacy specialist is that actually having books in the home is one of the major things that can help children with their literacy. And often there's lots of barriers that are placed, um, especially for impoverished families, for having these books. So the work that you do to get books into the hands of kids is something. Thing that I particularly applaud. Can you tell us a little bit about what what are the books that you send out?
3: Well, we um, really we send out age appropriate books. We essentially send out eight different books each month. Um, every child who enrolls and it's their first book, no matter the age of the child, is the little engine that could. That's pretty much the metaphor of the entire. Uh, imagination library that children can do and be, you know, whomever and whatever they choose. And then the last book, The Month They Turn Five, is also the same book, obviously, for every child. And that's a book uh, called Look Out Kindergarten, Here I Come, which, you know, clearly as a child turns five, uh, a book about the joys and happiness of going of going to kindergarten. And in between those, each month, it's an age-appropriate book, classics like the Llama Llama books to Snowy Day to Maple to the new book that's creating quite a buzz throughout the country, uh, Last Stop on Market Street, Um, just, you know, a nice mixture of fairy tales, old old literature, new books, developmentally uh, designed books about counting and numbers and all those things, again, just all distributed over the entire age range.
0: That connection that you make to the developmentally appropriate and the age-appropriate thing, I think, is one of the key things about this program. So how do you look at your books, and how do you assess them to make sure that they're meeting the needs of that age group?
3: Well, very early on, um, we knew we we needed a a committee of experts who represented a a lot of different perspectives on uh, children's books and the development of children at that age. So... This committee that we formed, um, they, you know, represent an author-editor's point of view, librarian's point of view, teacher's point of view, child uh, development specialists, uh, academics, folks that work in the field, and parents as teachers. So a lot of different perspectives. They have developed over the years their own sort of schematic of what they're looking for in a book. And each year they meet for three days here in uh, downtown Pigeon Forge and um, choose the the books for the next year they They take their job very, very seriously and are very proud about it but As you can imagine, reading every single possibility over three days, there's a lot of fun involved, too.
0: That that is a lot of fun. Reading books is one of my favorite things to do. And I think that there's some great advice there, particularly for parents, that if you need help finding some age-appropriate books for your kids, there's lots of experts out there that can help you. And, And your program has really drawn on those experts can you tell us though, what are some of the outcomes that you have seen? What are some of the success stories that you've had?
3: I'd kind of divide it into three areas. You know, one of course uh are the literally tens of thousands of anecdotal responses that we get, uh just unsolicited and through email and text and post and whatnot of from parents, grandparents, um, just, you know, covering, uh, I'd say by far the most common of those kinds of uh, of comments really are around, number one, uh, the quality of the program and the books and how much they appreciate it, to the absolute uh, joy of getting a child getting the book in the mail and the anticipation of receiving the next one. I, you know, we get that certainly a lot. And then number three, how people's situations are such that, they valued books and wanted them, but realized if it wasn't for the Imagination Library, they would not have access to books. Sometimes that's a case of being in a very remote rural area, and not, there's no libraries, no stores, no way to get books. But usually it's economic in nature. We can't, we can't afford books. We have to make other choices. Uh, secondly, we've, we've really started to do more research in terms of and that grew into surveys, kind of really codify all of these different kinds of comments, now, then we grew into really looking at research and have had some communities do control group studies much more sophisticated, kind of showing the what differences there are after a few years of children in the imagination library and then of course, uh, <laughs> what many people like is what 's the score right you know how are they do on the kindergarten readiness test or how are they doing in third grade and Although that gets a bit more complicated because all the other variables you'd have to control for. We do, at the most simplistic level, show a consistent uh, difference in scores when those type of studies have been conducted.
0: What great findings, David. I really am glad that you're studying this so deeply, and it's wonderful to see that this really is so true, that having books in the home and getting kids to read can have some significant differences even at the anecdotal level in their lives, and that's wonderful. I'd like to switch gears though a little bit, David, and maybe ask you a more personal question. What what kind of joy and satisfaction do you get out of participating in this program at a at a personal level?
3: Well, of course, it's you know it's a dream dream come true in terms of a, a career and a life. I've been here at the foundation for eighteen years, and certainly um, feel good about what I was doing you know before then, but. Um, you know, for us, for me, and for our staff, uh, you feel like you're you've, you've truly been blessed to have this opportunity to work uh, with this aim in mind, and for four kids, and really for books. Everybody here, uh, you know, treasures uh, books and reading, and reading, and, and and the aptitude of reading has really changed their lives. And certainly, our boss lady Dolly, she's a voracious reader, and uh, constantly with. Every time I see her, she's asked me what my wife is reading because they trade books. And, you know, you just know, obviously, an early age what it unlocks for you. you. Did for me growing up in rural Georgia. My parents weren't very educated, but they, they recognized the, the value of books. And, and uh, of course, at that time in school, uh, you know, had things like the weekly reader and other things. And, and, and back then, we had a thing called an encyclopedia. <laughs> and so just. Just reading all of that, uh, it was my internet, you know, and and it started opening my my uh, horizons and my view of a world beyond rural Georgia, and um, and it was you know terrific. I'm sure I would be a totally different person if for somehow that didn't come into my life. So to be able to know what that meant to me, what it unlocked for me and my success or my happiness to be able to be in a position to try to provide that same gift to 1.1 million children every month. You know, it just, old saying, it just doesn't get any better than that.
0: Well, I'm, I am so grateful for you to share that with us because it really just shows how powerful these kinds of programs are at at a broad level and and your personal experience and journey. So I'm going to ask that question that Dolly asks, what Mm -hmm. are you and your wife reading right now?
3: <laughs> well, my uh, wife is uh, reads much able to read much more for fun than I do, but she loves books uh, written by and about the South, written by Southern authors and about the South. So, uh, there's a woman, Jess, Jess, Jacqueline Jackson, I think, is who it was. She was reading just the other day of what she wanted me to give Dolly, which was a book she had not, which she had not uh, heard of. I've actually been. Going back in time, when in terms of non, in terms of fiction, back in the day, I loved Tom Robbins and all of his wacky books because work is so, and you know, life is. Uh, I like escape, <laughs> and so I've been read reading even Cowgirls Get the Blues and Skinny Legs and all and all these uh, offbeat, offbeat uh, books that he he's written. He's one of my all-time favorites.
0: Me too, <laughs> me he's, too. He's, he's I agree. Nut.
3: He's a nut, and I love I love reading. Things that nuts have written.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I, I love that context. Well, we we should have more nuts writing because they That's do right. a really good job.
3: <laughs> they do a really good job, and uh, and it's you know, it's been one of the nice pleasures of my job, of course, is certainly meeting a lot of children's authors because now they've been uh, terrifically honored when their books are in the imagination library because we get so many of their of their books out there to kids and just, you know, love, love and appreciate what they're doing and uh, people, you know, that we've like I said, had, like, obviously, the ter- terrible loss of, you know, when, when we had uh, the Lama Lama and Anna Judy yeah. was such a powerful, the Lama books are by far and away the most popular books in the Imagination Library and have been ever since we first introduced Lama Lama Red Pajama and to get to know Anna over the years and be on podiums and with her and, and, and things, you know, it's just, was uh, just a wonderful person. And we just, uh, we have our conference every two years, and we always induct someone into our Hall of Fame. And so she was our inductee this
2: year.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. She, she it was a great loss to the world of children's literature when she passed. David, what is the future hold, do you think? Where, where are you guys going to be going into the future?
3: Well, I think that uh, a few things. Number one, in terms of the books themselves, because of the volume that we have, you know, we were able to customize books and include title-specific reading tips in the back of each book and uh, other messaging that I think will continue to, to, to do that, since the book is really the deliverer of the message not only to the child but to the parent. Number two, I think we we are we are now two countries shy of every English-speaking country with a postal system that we could work in. That's New Zealand and the uh, Republic of Ireland. So we're really looking at, uh, and you know, and Dolly's looking at what, uh, how could we do this? We know we can't do it exactly the same, of course, but what could we do with the same goal and same intention? in the developing world, and we've been testing a couple of things to see about getting books there and distribution and all those kinds of of aspects, but uh, I'd say that's sort of our next great um, horizon, if you will, is how could we perhaps go from an international program to a global program.
0: And that is a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the communities that you're getting involved and the the community building that you're doing through reading and helping children get access to books. So thank you for your amazing work. And I'm excited to see what the Foundation continues to do in the future.
3: Well, thank you for having me and giving us the opportunity to to share the story. And thank you for all the, the good work you're doing as well.
2: David Dotson, president of the Dollywood Foundation that oversees Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, a program that provides a book per month to preschool children and their families to help them foster a love of reading. Next, Rachel welcomes blogger Amy Johnson, who talks about some of her favorite books. One of the best things we can do as moms, she says, to get our kids to read is to be readers ourselves. Amy is an avid reader and mother of five boys. Her goal is to make her boys as obsessed with books as she is. Judging from the dozens of books scattered all over her house, she's been successful so far. Amy Johnson blogs at Sunlit Pages about what she's currently reading to her children. Here's Rachel and Amy. We're in
0: studio with Amy today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Amy, you are a reader and a mom, and one of the things that I know uh, from research and my own experience is that one of the best ways to get our kids to become readers is to be readers ourselves, yes. to have our own reader identity, right, and to, and to be that kind of voracious reader that will read anything. So tell us a little bit about you as a reader. What things that you like, and how do you find books that you love to read, and
1: all of those kinds of things that make you a reader? Sure. I actually always love it when I hear that one of the best things that I can do for my kids to help them become readers themselves is to read because it's kind of like permission just to do one of the things that I love. And so if I'm sitting on the couch reading a book, I don't feel as guilty. I just think... My kids are seeing me reading a book and now, now they know that I love it and maybe they'll love it too. So important, yeah. And so. it's not
0: just reading. It's not reading to them or making them read. It's right. It's you reading. me reading. So.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I've always loved reading ever since I was a little girl. And um, our home, my home growing up was always filled with books. My mom was a big reader also and I would often see her reading. And um, she used books a lot to learn new things. Anytime she had a question, that was where she found her answer was in a book. And I find myself doing the same thing now as an adult, following her example and looking to books for answers. Um, And I feel like my reading tastes are fairly eclectic. I'll try anything, but I find myself gravitating most towards realistic fiction or kind of narrative nonfiction that tells a, ni- a fun story. But when anyone asks me, what is your favorite book? For the last 20 years, I've probably said Anne of Green Gables is my favorite book of all time. And so I probably will always stick to that as my favorite just because I love it so much. And and just makes me happy when I read. <laughs> and I was as I was thinking about some of my other favorite books, I mean, it is so hard because... There are just so many different categories of books. Like, why did I like this book? Well, sometimes a book for me is a five-star book because it changed the way that I thought about the world or it was really inspiring. So, for example, um, a couple of books that I've read recently that have done that for me are The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Mm -hmm. Brown, which is a true story about um, the 1936 American rowing team. And another one is When Breath Becomes Air. But, That's a gorgeous book. Yes. So both of those were just very inspiring to me. And that is why I loved them. But then there are also books that are page turners or just really great stories that you just love to be immersed in. And those are a different type of book. And, um, Some that I thought of with that, I loved The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. That one was very gripping for me. I just had to find out how that one was going to end and probably a lot of people know about that one, especially since the movie came out, just this moral dilemma about who this child (laughs) belongs to. But another page turner for me was actually its called Edenbrook by Julianne Donaldson. And it was just that's just a Regency romance. It was kind of just fluffy and didn't have a ton of substance. But I just loved the story. And I loved the characters. And I loved the dialogue. So Those types of books. And then there are books where I just love the language. The language is so beautiful. The writing is so beautiful. So the story itself might not be particularly fast-paced or make me feel like I have to finish it at 2 a.m. Um, or else I'm not going to be able to sleep. But just being able to immerse myself in such beautiful writing. So one of those for me, and I just read this last year. It was called Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. Oh, I love Wallace Stegner. Yeah, <laughs> He's one of my all-time favorites. Yep. Yeah, Just slow- paced books but just really thoughtful beautiful writing as I was reading it I just couldn't believe that those characters weren't out of straight out of real life you know that they weren't that they weren't real people because they became so real to me as I was as I was reading about them and so I think writing can do that and that's just it's just amazing. I, I love that
0: sense of, yes, it's so amazing, because really, I think, you know, people say, oh, you know, here here we're talking about children's literacy on this show, but now we're talking about all these adult books. But for me, this is the kind of thing we need more concerned adults to do, mm-hmm. right? We need... If everybody could walk in and say, these are the kinds of books I love, and these are why, and this is what I'm doing, I think we would raise a generation of readers faster than anything else. And and I, I love this sense of just, you know, try a bunch of things and just read and, you know, go in and figure out what things you might want, want to like, because, you know, over our years, we've, we've tried different foods, we've tried different things, and we know what we like now, and we know what we don't like. And the same thing is true of reading, right? You need to try this, and uh, I didn't really like that, so right. I'm going to try this, but I didn't really like that, but I'm gonna try this. Oh, I love this. So this might open up things, exactly. right? Exactly. Kind well, of things. Yeah. And
1: I, I wanted to say, um, so every year I make reading goals for myself because I just, um reading, like I said, it has been such a way for me to learn and grow and be able to continue learning and growing as a mom. And so I use those reading goals to Push myself outside of my comfort zone. And I remember a few years ago, one of my goals was read a graphic novel. And if um, your listeners don't know what those are, because some I did not really understand what a graphic novel was. It's basically a comic book. And that scared me. That didn't sound like a book that a type of book that I would like at all. But I said, you know, I'm just I'm just going to try this because there were a bunch of new graphic novels that were coming out and some of them were getting a lot of attention, you know, from like the Newbery committee and, and people like that. And so I thought, well, maybe there is something to these graphic novels. So maybe I should just try them. And lo and behold, I actually really have liked some graphic novels. Like, look for those books that you maybe think wouldn't interest you and just give them a try. And if you don't like them, that's okay. But, and you know, I find this actually with my seven-year-old all the time. He tends to not want to ever try anything new. And so I'll say, you know, you should try this book. No, the cover doesn't look good to me or we'll read the back of it. No, that doesn't sound good to me. Um, But just a month or so ago, he told me, I'm going to try to be a little bit more open to new ideas when um, I'm reading. And I think that's a really great attitude to have. Um, And it's taken him a while Well, he's only seven, but (laughs) it's taken him a while to figure that out for himself, that it's worth it to try something new. And you don't have to just read the same books over and over again, but you can enjoy new things. And there's so many great things
0: out there to try. So let's let's hope all of our listeners go out there and start developing their own identity as readers so they, too, can impact the children in their lives through that established identity. Thanks so much, Amy. Thank you.
2: Mom and blogger Amy Johnson, talking about her favorite books and her conviction that one of the best things we can do as concerned adults to get our kids to read is to be readers ourselves. Finally, a poem by Eugene Field called Winkin' Blinkin' and Nod, read by Katie Jarvis. Winkin' Blinkin' and Nod by Eugene Field.
4: Winken, Blinken, and Nod one night sailed off in a wooden shoe, sailed on a river of crystal light into a sea of dew. Where are you going and what do you wish? The old moon asked the three. We have come to fish for the herring fish that live in this beautiful sea. Nets of silver and gold have we, said Winken, Blinken, and Nod. The old moon laughed and sang a song as they rocked in the wooden shoe, and the wind that sped them all night long ruffled the waves of dew. The little stars were the herring fish that lived in the beautiful sea. Now cast your nets wherever you wish, never afraid are we! So cried the stars to the fishermen three, winkin, Blinken, and Nod. All night long their nets they threw, to the stars and the twinkling foam. Then down from the skies came the wooden shoe, bringing the fishermen home. T'was all so pretty a sail, it seemed, as if it could not be. And some folk thought t'was a dream they'd dreamed of sailing that beautiful sea. But I shall name you the Fishermen Three, Winken, Blinken, and Nod. Winken and Blinken are two little eyes, and Nod is a little head. And the wooden shoe that sailed the skies is a wee one's trundle bed. So shut your eyes while mother sings of wonderful sights that be. And you shall see the beautiful things as you rock in the misty sea. Where the old shoe rocked the fishermen three,
2: Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod. That was Katie Jarvis reading Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod by Eugene Field. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio Sirius XM Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.